and welcome to You Need to See This, a weekly film podcast that is about filling the gaps in our collective cinematic experience. I'm Cozy Orlin, and I'm joined by my co-host... Luce Tomlin Brenner. Hell yeah. Awesome. Very exciting. We're comedians, we're writers, we're filmmakers, and of course, we're upper-class 1900s health enthusiasts. Every episode, one of us tries to convince the other and the audience that they need to see a specific film, and we do it all with zero spoilers. Luce, how you doing? I'm doing really well. How are you doing, Cozy? Oh, uh, equally really well. Oh, checking out movies. Oh yeah, nice I've been watching deal. a ton of movies lately. I'm uh I'm buoyed, buoyed, buoyed. Buoyed, yeah. There we go. Heck yeah. Uh continuing on my streak of not saying words correctly. Um <laughs> I, I so rarely am I talking these days that when I open my mouth to do so, it just does whatever it wants. Um <laughs> That's okay, I, let it be free. Thank you. My mouth is free, <laughs> finally, to say buoyed. Um, I'm buoyed by the new year and my thought that I'm going to watch more movies than I did last year, and I'm going strong on that so far. Oh, hell yeah. That's a great way to do it. I think I'm in that same boat where I want to just check a bunch of stuff out and see what it is. Fair, yeah. <laughs> it's very new. I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> well, I'm really excited to have a new recommendation um, from you this week, and... Yeah, I, you're doing a movie this week I've never heard of before. Ah, that makes me so happy. I That is my whole deal. Yeah, today's film is 1994's The Road to Wellville. It's very strange, and Luce, you absolutely need to see this. <laughs> okay, yeah, I, not, not, I haven't seen it because I don't even know what it is. I know nothing about it. I love that. That's perfect. All right, well, let's get you acquainted with it and also the audience because I get that response a lot from people. They're like, what the hell is that movie? That is not a thing I've heard about before. Awesome. Yeah, lay it on us. Oh, hell yeah. So it's written and directed by Alan Parker uh, based on a historical fiction novel from T.C. Boyle who writes a lot of uh, weird fiction novels. Uh, and I've, I, don't, I think I maybe read one or none of them, but he's definitely a guy who is often recommended to me. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I haven't read this one, um, but I, I bet it's as weird as all of his other ones have been purported to be. But Alan Parker wrote and directed Angela's Ashes and mm. Evita. Mm-hmm. And he directed a ton of big ones like Fame and The Commitments, Midnight Express, Mississippi Burning, and Pink Floyd's The Wall. <laughs> Amazing. What an incredible list of films, all totally different perspectives. Yeah, and I've never seen any of them. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so did you say this is the only Alan Parker movie you've ever seen? That is accurate. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen any of his other ones. Um, I've seen Fame and Evita mm. and cool. oh, The Life of David Gale, which is a very cheesy movie with uh, Kevin Spacey. Oh, yeah, it seems like it would have been. I remember seeing commercials for that and being like, oh, this is one of those kinds of like uh, born born style movies almost. Right. And I I don't know. I've been in rooms that the wall is playing in. I've never cared <laughs> for Pink Floyd music. So, you know, but I've been at plenty of like, let's all get stoned parties. So I was going to say that that's like the most subtle euphemism for going to a dr- to a party where people are getting super high. Oh, yeah. the wall was playing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's like that's a awesome. whole like time between the year 2000 and 2007 where like mm. movies were playing and I was there. <laughs> <laughs> that's a rare one for me. I feel like I'm always like real tuned in. Yeah, you know, I was tuned in in the way that you're like, whoa, colors. But yeah. 
you were tuned in and turned up and checked out, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, no. But I will say I don't think uh, the one you're talking about today has that vibe. <laughs> that is very accurate. Ooh, boy, howdy. I don't know what this would be like seeing it high. I'm not sure. It would be too much. It would be too much, but okay. also not enough at the same time. Oh, interesting. I know exactly what you mean. Like parts of it would freak you out and then other parts would bore you. Yes, absolutely. Um, This movie has a a real big cast, a whole bunch of people. Um, It's got Bridget Fonda. Ooh. It's got John Cusack and Matthew Broderick. Wow. I love both of them. Such scamps of the 80s. Right. That's going to be one of my reasons. Uh, It's got Anthony Hopkins as the main character. Um, I suppose if anyone's the main character, I suppose it would be Dr. Kellogg. Um, it's got Lara Flynn Boyle. Oh, I love Lara Flynn Boyle. She just, she wasn't, she was in so much and then nothing. Yeah. And her voice is really great. Mm -hmm. It reminded me of that in this one, at least. Uh, I assume that's her normal voice. Uh, Cameron Manheim is in it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cameron Manheim is another person who was just like there and now she's not. I love her. Yeah, she was such a thing. And we have uh, Dana Carvey, Michael Lerner, just a ton of people. I love it. Yeah, I just saw Gabriel Byrne is also... Oh, no, Gabriel Barr. That's someone else. (laughs) (laughs) Look, we're talking about the wall, not talking heads. (laughs) Whoops, sorry. Let me just put this joint down. (laughs) (laughs) This is so outside of my normal zone. That's very funny. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Cozy's never gotten high. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I don't know what any of this music is. I don't know what drugs are, but I'll try and jump in with, I'll try and jump into the joke pool with it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're in the comedy scene at all, you're like, have to get used to stoner comedy to a point. Oh, so many versions of it. Absolutely true. Uh, so um, yeah, it's got a really good cast. Yeah, I can't believe... I went through a phase in college where I was trying to watch all of John Cusack's movies, and I mm-hmm. guess this one got skipped. I don't. This I never... one got skipped by everybody. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh! Amazing. I'm really excited. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's um. Oh, let me give you the synopsis of this thing. It's about a lot of things, uh, but I think I can sum it up in a very long paragraph. <laughs> um, Perfect. So, in 1907. This is when it's filmed. It's 1907. Well, not when it was filmed, but, you know, no. the, setting, <laughs> the setting is 1907. Alan Parker <laughs> worked from the year 1900 <laughs> to 2000. He has had a very long career. <laughs> yeah, really prolific. Only, yeah, the only centurion <laughs> filmmaker. <laughs> he started when he was a baby. <laughs> it's really, what a genius. His dad just put a camera in front of him and he just went for it. I would love a movie directed by a baby, but that is a whole different movie right there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> what a dumb <laughs> idea. That's a movie for sure. It so is. Oh, my God. Or it's just no object permanence outside of the frame. <laughs> yeah, everything that's outside the frame you forget about immediately. Oh, my God. This movie about jangling car keys, so good. <laughs> So much tension. <laughs> and one, just a dog. <laughs> in, anyway, in 1907, the inventor of Kellogg's cereal is a doctor who runs a health uh, and wellness clinic uh, center, I guess, where he helps patients achieve better health through avoidance of sex and a lot of experimental therapies. Uh, a couple, Will and Eleanor Lightbody, check into the center to work through their health and marital issues. At the same time, in the city... Two entrepreneurs try to create a competitor cereal to Kellogg's. Those are the things that happen in this movie. Okay, interesting. Yeah, it has like kind of a, a three main thread focus. 
And I would say that the entrepreneur thread is pretty far away from the other stuff. Uh, but thematically, I get why they would include it, but probably fine if they didn't too. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> yeah, it's mostly just about the health and wellness center, which is called the Battle Creek Sanitarium, but it's not like a mental institution. It's, it's just a health place. So I'm super interested in that because there were a ton of things like that at the turn of the century. There was, you know, people always talk about now how we're in this like boon of like wellness products, but this mm -hmm. isn't new to our time or like our obsession with social media, much to everyone's, you know, concerns. This was a huge mm -hmm. thing in the 1900s that wealthy people were doing then too was, oh, I'm going to pay to stay at a spa for a few weeks, or I'm going to go lose weight at this spa for a month and just like check into it and do all these weird um, not really scientifically backed practices. So, yep. <laughs> yeah. So I love that there's a movie about this cause it's like a fascinating phenomenon to me. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Then you're going to be very fascinated by this one because this is a good satire of that stuff. Incredible. It's so specific. I can see why maybe it didn't hit at the time. Oh, completely. It's very weird. And, uh, it's, it's like a type, it's a period piece that most people don't see because it's not about romance or drama. It's about a weird fucking thing. <laughs> right. Okay, cool. Yeah. And like, uh, I don't know much about, uh, uh, the doctor, uh, Dr. Kellogg, but his real life apparently is insane and definitely ended with some stuff about eugenics, which is terrifying. Hmm. Uh, luckily not in the movie, but, uh, hmm. very terrifying. <laughs> Oh, so wait, this really was based on a real thing. This is based on a real dude. This is historical fiction about a real person and his real institute. Okay, very cool. I like that a lot too. Yeah, I'm not sure where the differences specifically are, but I know that if uh, there are Wikipedia articles about the doctor and his insane views and cool. weird junk. But this movie is also... This movie is about a bunch of things. You know, it's it's not only about crazy beliefs regarding health and wellness in the early 1900s. It's also about sexual repression versus sexual freedom at that time. Mm. And it's also about the ways that people deal with trauma and a little bit about con men and being conned. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, it's a packed movie. Another reason why it probably went under the radar. It's hard to lay out in one sentence. <laughs> So I guess my concern going in is that it's, you know, trying to cover a lot of different topics and is it able to successfully do that? That's a good question. I think that, I think that in the world that it's in, it, it's able to do it enough without maybe fully getting into parts of that. Like, I don't mm -hmm. feel like it necessarily dives so far into trauma that it knocks it out of the ballpark, mm -hmm. but like it trauma's there, but it's, it's mostly about <clears throat> it's mostly about sexual repression and sexual freedom. I think that if that were the one thing it stuck with, then that's where it's at. Interesting. All right. Well, I'm very into that. Good. That's what I figured. I was like, this is a very <laughs> horny movie, and I don't usually throw those in. I was like, Luce might be a fan, so oh, that's always a good feeling. I might be a fan. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. There's all this like stupid discourse that keeps cropping up on Twitter like every week where somebody – a younger person usually it seems is like there's mm -hmm. too much sex in movies and sex scenes aren't needed in movies and like what <laughs> you are not living your best life right now friend um <laughs> yes there's a very important part of the human experience and is absolutely necessary in films you know when it when it counts for the story but honestly i'm someone that like if there's a random sex scene that doesn't enhance the story i'm not complaining yeah why fight it 
sure. Sounds great. I don't think sex <laughs> in our daily lives supports any story. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> obviously, true. that might not be a great argument because, you know, movies are supposed to be good stories. But, like, sometimes sex just happens and uh, it it's not always the it's not always the main course. So, like, why not throw it into a movie about a person living their life? Yeah, makes sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also, yes, very horny, and I love sex in movies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, good then. I As soon as I started rewatching it, I was like, oh, I forgot about these aspects. So, <laughs> You're like, this is my point for Luce. <laughs> yeah, oh, I mean, multiple points at this point because it's very much a, it's such a big part of it. Um, right, I'm yeah, sold. I've, you can stop right there. <laughs> perfect, we nailed it, doing that good work. <laughs> um, so... The first time I saw this movie was in theaters in 1994 when I was spending four months in Paris or mm-hmm. five months, I mean. And I remember really liking this movie as a kid. And that says a, a lot because it's a period piece and I couldn't have given less of a fuck about those as a kid. Yeah, totally. That was not something I think I watched a lot of movies that took place. I, as I've said in the past, I've watched a lot of classic films, mm-hmm. but I don't know how many films I've watched that were like shot in the 90s, but were about a later time or an earlier time yeah earlier time yes uh time time in general i just just can't (laughs) that's fair it's a lot time is really weird right now and in general yeah i it's very much the type of movie where it's like these men have mustaches and oh my goodness good sir (laughs) it's kind of great white suits yeah, a lot of a lot of suits and a lot in general, and a lot of like my horse-drawn carriage has come to here, and I will have a steak medium rare. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it's well, it's like there's a lot of that, but also there's like a little bit of that uh, that southern gentleman thing that um, Dr. Kellogg has because he's much more like uh, he has that southern voice where everybody else is just very like oh, I say. So it's this weird combo. Yeah, that's what I was getting out of just hearing you talk about it. That's what made me think of the white suit. Yeah, he's got that foghorn leghorn thing going. (laughs) Two southern gentlemen. Right, exactly. And foghorn leghorn. I don't know if there are any other ones. (laughs) No, there were the originals and the the onlys. Yeah. And so I I think that not only was I was I sold on I, I was I was sold on it for a couple reasons as a kid. And one of those was because I was like starting to figure out what hormones were in 1994 in Paris. And I was just like, what are boobs? They seem great. And this movie has a lot of boobs in it and a lot of like silly characters that um, still feel grounded enough in their time that they don't feel broad or stupid. There's one who's almost too broad, but not quite. And I would have loved him as a kid. That's you just slam together grounded characters and a lot of boobs as one reason. And I love it. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. And like revisiting, it feels more about how just weird and funny and fascinating it is. Right. You can appreciate the boobs, but they're not like the number one thing you're noticing. Yeah, not like, anymore. And I, I see the trauma now as an adult. <laughs> I'm like, oh, now I understand what trauma is. And I, I can see it in like a deeper way in this movie, along with all the stuff that stands out as a kid. <laughs> Wow, this you're really you I'm already super interested, but you're piquing my interest in the sheer amount of things that seem to be happening in this movie. Perfect. I can I take that as your first impressions? Yes, those are my first impressions. My first impression ah. is Yowza, really? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. There's a lot of a lot of uh it's a very much like a a horny Matthew Broderick movie. 
but it's also so many other things. It's very strange. <laughs> you know, I, I just don't think those two phrases go together very often. Yeah. yeah oh, and, you know, it's a classic horny Broderick pick. Right. Like that's the key though. That's why it works so well. I feel like it's, it has that same election feeling where it's like, this person is not a horny person, but he is learning that that is a thing in life. Okay. All right. Um, I'm nothing if not curious. Like at this point, you'd have to work to turn me off of it. Perfect. I don't think I have anything that would. So this is good. So let's go for some reasons. Let's hear them. Awesome. So I'm going to start with the reason that feels to me most like the most loose reason, and that is Cameron Mannheim in this movie. <laughs> I do love her in Romy Michelle's High School Reunion. Well, you're going to love her even more in this because she plays basically Bridget Fonda's best friend at the Wellness Center. And every time they talk, what she's doing is opening Bridget Fonda's mind to women's sexual empowerment and sexual gratification. Oh. It's just all tips and like knowing smiles. Oh my God. Okay. I love it. <laughs> it's great. She's like, have you tried riding a bicycle? Ooh, let me tell you. <laughs> it's her whole deal in it. It's great. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm very obsessed with that. Like what did women do before Hitachi ones? Like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, this is very much that movie. <laughs> this is why they didn't want women riding bicycles. <laughs> yep. Completely. <laughs> this is the expose. <laughs> I just love it so much that the bike as a sexual awakening tool, like it's so sweet, simple, innocent, but then also like really perverse at the same time. Yeah. Like they say in it, have you heard the phrase bicycle smile? Oh my. <laughs> I'm just like, yep. Okay. Got it. Um, petition to make bicycle smile a phrase we used this year. Yeah. So sad that that got lost out of the canon because nobody saw this except for me as a fourth grader. <laughs> I'm really curious to know if that's a phrase that was actually used. Uh, I'm sure there's gotta be, it's gotta be. Um, Well, I mean, Oh, good. (laughs) My second, my second reason is that it's a, it's movies, a satire of wealthy upper-class people blindly accepting insane medical beliefs. And Dr. Kellogg is like a cult leader in it, indoctrinating people with his weird rote uh, mantras. Yes. Oh my God. A hundred percent. I love seeing rich people get duped. It's one of my yeah. favorite things about Parasite. I know you weren't as into that movie, but like oh, sure. just mm-hmm. the part in the middle where you're watching them get tricked is just so satisfying. Yeah, I would say this one's even subtler than that because there are not a lot of things in it that are telling you that it's wrong. It's just kind of, oh, well, it's the early 1900s, so who knows what it's right. Medical science was crazy back then. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so my, my third reason for it is a little more kind of general and it's that this movie is very funny and dry and like sad in parts and sort of insane. It's got a lot of tones and it handles all those tones really well against a baseline that feels kind of as formal as the lobster, but in a time where that formality makes total sense and isn't just deadpan. Hmm. (laughs) That's an interesting insight about the lobster having a specific formality to it. Yeah, it's weird how much this made me think of that one. You know, you just unlocked something for me. I'm so sorry Mm. to take this. But all of Yogos Landamos films have a certain formality to them, which is so weird because they're also like perverse and (laughs) deranged. And I think maybe that's what makes them work. At least for me, is the. Oh, 100%. Yeah, the the opposing like 
um, sickness with the prim and proper. And he actually turns that up to 11 with the favorite since that actually, you know, takes place in royal, you know, ancient royal times, not really ancient, but what the 1700s. <laughs> yeah. It's maybe the, yeah. Oh no, no. There were, there were, <laughs> there were, uh, cisterns and <laughs> coliseums um all very ancient <laughs> yeah it's weird in that one it's maybe almost too overt because it's so built into that time period so it doesn't feel unnatural in that same way it almost feels like the most honest version of what was happening back then yes but i've been trying to put my finger on like how he came to that story and how that like because it, it feels out of place while still yeah. being, by still being tonally the same Right. And I just, you bringing that up, I'm like, that's it. The formality <laughs> is in each and every one of his films and it's a natural like step towards a period film. Yeah. It's, I feel like this is a, maybe a version of that that doesn't realize that it's doing, that it's doing, it, it doesn't do it in a way where you're like, this is weird. What's, what is all this? You're more right. just like, you're more just like, that's crazy. That's silly that they would, that that would be happening, but they were, that's who they were back then. <laughs> Right, it's more of the time. Yeah, you don't you don't feel it in the same way that you'd feel it in the, in a Lanthimos movie. Right, is that adding to the unnaturality of it? Right, yeah, nothing nothing feels unnatural. It just feels weird. I guess that's the difference, and it's a strange difference. No, I, I know what you mean. Uh, I yeah. like it, it adds like a little bit of um, like it, it heightens it a little bit. Yeah, and it's not it's not reinforced by like the camera angles and things like that. Uh, the technical aspects don't reinforce it. It's more just the actions. That's a great point. Okay, cool. Yeah. Nice. So my my fourth reason, I just go into characters at this or uh, people at this point and cast people at this point. Sure. Um, yeah. So as an '80s kid, seeing Matthew Broderick and John Cusack in the same movie felt like the Ferris Bueller better off dead crossover that I always wanted, but never knew was possible. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Like, I think it's so wild that they're both in. Also, isn't it weird that they weren't in a movie in the eighties? Like, it seems there, like that was like, like a no brainer. There wasn't a, there wasn't enough uh, screen uh, to compare to, to hold their, their, their power. You know, they wouldn't <laughs> have been able to do it. Their screen presence was too much and they would have busted open the screen. That's a good point. I think you're right. <laughs> We couldn't handle it back then. <laughs> we couldn't handle it. <laughs> we didn't know. Uh, they were afraid. Uh, yeah, they just—they didn't have many scenes together in this one. But whenever they do, it's really great and nice and touches a specific part of my heart. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> yeah, it's, it feels so unbelievable. And I'm sure in 1994, when I had been watching ferris bueller over and fucking over again all the comedy central um cusack movies that probably just made my existence <laughs> yes i i know what you mean there were certain movies that people were together just especially if it was somebody from tv mm, yeah that always really excited me because i was so into television as a kid that when a tv actor made the jump to film i was just like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> of course like, it seems so possible yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like, wow, I can't believe Chandler is going to be in a comedy <laughs> with, uh, you know, Salma Hayek. I can't wait to see it. <laughs> it was fine. Fool's Russian. Okay. Yeah, I think I saw it too. <laughs> I don't know why I did, but I'm sure I did. <laughs> um, so the fifth reason why I think that people should see this movie, including you, is that watching Dana Carvey play against type in it is a delight. <laughs> yeah, that's so he plays a Kellogg person also. Well, he plays the estranged adopted son of the doctor. 
And he's ah. the one character who like doesn't make sense in the world of health and wellness. He sticks out as like a dirty, weird creep. We get to see his like kid origins story. And it's just very much not like a Dana Carvey role at all. Huh. Okay, cool. I yeah, love Dana he, Carvey, so I'm down. I think you'll love him in this. I when I was a kid, this was def- he was probably the biggest reason that I loved the movie because I was like, oh, he's saying such funny things and he's such a weirdo and all this and <laughs> I remember awesome. him from all the other movies around then. Yeah, he's he's real fun in it. They're all fun in it. It's a fun movie. <laughs> I am. Well, I don't, is it my turn to say what I think? It so is. I want to see it. I'm totally yes. convinced. Oh, I'm like, that's so awesome. I've actually been pretty. I mean, anytime anybody brings up a movie I've never heard of, I'm always <laughs> like, tell me more because I <laughs> think I've heard of everything. Um, <laughs> and especially when it's not. Uh, there's a lot of foreign films that are still, you know, that I'm are still new to me, but, um, a movie that came out in the nineties in America, like that's shocking to me that I haven't heard of it. So yeah. it already piqued my curiosity. And honestly, every single thing you said about it, I, I know you tailored your reasons for me, but it really feels <laughs> like I would enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad. Yeah. This one, I didn't feel like I was avoiding anything except for just like the, the boring moments or whatever that I hit at the top. Yeah. But yeah. It's just really weird and fun and great. <laughs> oh my God. I'm so excited. And I see that it's on Amazon uh, Prime, which mm. we have because Isaac's grandmother pays for it. Nice. And so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I can watch it easily on Amazon. Awesome. Oh, fantastic. Of course, I should, I should check out our store first at Videotech. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> that would be great. If, if you had it, that would be really great. I hope so. Um, I don't know what it was like in America when this movie came out, which is a weird thing that I can't say very often. <laughs> what do you mean? Like if people, um, like if it was a hit or not? Yeah. Or like what the, what the release was, even if it was like an indie movie or if it had like a bigger release or cause I just saw it in some movie theater in Paris. And so it's just like, I don't know what, I had no concept of it was, a, if it was an indie theater over there, if right, it was like, like a big one. Popular. Yeah. yeah that's a great no point. Clue. Um, yeah, that's interesting because there's a lot of movies too. Like, um, for some reason I keep thinking of home fries because that's a movie Mm. that was totally, you know, nobody really saw. And I did an episode about that last summer and, um, it had, I, I can imagine if I would have seen that in another country, I'd be like, wow, I guess this is just like a super indie American film, but sometimes (laughs) it's just like the, it's too weird. And then they don't put money into marketing it. Yeah. I think that was this. There's no question. I have a feeling this got no marketing. Yeah, well, uh, I just looked it up on Wikipedia, and it cost $25 million to make, and it only made like $6.5 million at box office. That that adds up. That adds up. Yeah, interesting. Oh, so weird. Yeah, that's, so, that's, why, that's why this podcast is so fun. We get to dig up the gems and throw, show them to people and be like, hey, check out this gem. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess on Rotten Tomatoes, it only has a 41% that it came sure. out to mixed reactions mm-hmm. that sounds right hmm. yeah that's how it works that's those are the ones that i pick most often <laughs> mixed <laughs> yeah a hundred percent if any reactions they were mixed like that's what i love yeah i think i'm all over the map because i definitely <laughs> there's a ton of mixed stuff that i'm all about and then there's some stuff that like everybody hates and i'm like i don't get it this is excellent Right. Oh. Um, and then I think I'm also a sucker for like prestige movies, typically. Sure. Oh, of <laughs> very, very fair. Um, 
it's hard to know, you know, when we're, I feel like I'm a bit of a curmudgeon sometimes. So if people like things too much, I have to give it a little time. Yeah. If people are just going crazy over it all the time, it feels like overwhelming and like they're trying to force it on you a little bit. And you're like, I don't want to deal with this movie, whatever well, it is. Well, yeah, I'm afraid I won't be able to watch it with a clear mind. There's like, no way. It's impossible at that point. Right. Like I can deal with my own hype, which is a <laughs> big problem. Um, <laughs> you know, like I can manage my own expectations, but when I go in with other expectations from either like a critic or from friends or just like whatever random things I heard on film Twitter, I just mm. get it's just like a very toxic mix because I'm like, oh, this is supposed to be great. And so there's like weird trust issues too, right? Because I'm yeah. like, I can't even ever, if I watch something that everybody loves, like Uncut Gems, which I know I'm really need to stop talking about, but like <laughs> I didn't, I didn't really hear anything. Like that wasn't a movie that grabbed me when I saw the trailer for it. And I didn't really think that much about it. Right, when everyone same. went nuts for it, I was like, oh, well, I have to see it. And then uh, when I saw it, I was like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Ah, <laughs> uh, see, and I was the opposite where I, I watched the trailer. I watched the trailer and also didn't give a fuck about it. But then when everybody talked about it, I was like, oh, fuck this movie. No, thank you. <laughs> uh, you know, what's really interesting. I will say uh, recently I had a discussion with my friend Greg, who is really smart, incredible uh, film writer. And we worked together at Videotech. He, mm. uh, well, he's Jewish. And he was like, there's a lot of really interesting like, this is a very Jewish movie. That's what and I've heard, like, yeah. Oh, I thought I felt like an asshole because I was like, <laughs> of course, not that, like, I didn't note all, there is many, you know, a lot of Jewish traditions and mm-hmm. and language and things, and it's not that I didn't notice that, but, you know, it's just like I think there's a lot of movies that uh, straight cis men don't appreciate sure. uh, that are, you know, focused on women's experience. I think I just couldn't understand or appreciate those aspects of it. So there's, like, a much deeper resonance there for people and I feel badly for kind of writing it off and missing that aspect of it so well some stuff is impossible for us to know unless we're part of part of the culture that that it's affected by right it's just like it just completely doesn't hit us on that level yeah exactly so I'll always just bring it back up because I'm like well maybe you'd appreciate some of the Jewish aspects of it but I know that you're not super practicing either so yeah I have a feeling I in general would probably appreciate a lot more than I than I think I would uh, because to me, I was just like, oh, it seems like this kind of movie. And then everyone's like, no, 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 no. It's about these things and anxiety and blah. And I'm like, cool. I don't care still, but I bet I'd like it more than I, I'd like it, but I don't want to see it. That's what it becomes. That's so funny. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't have that experience as often with things. I get too dug in, dug in on like, I don't, and like anything this popular, is not going to appeal to me, which is wrong mm. because like Knives Out was wildly popular and I wildly loved it. Like I yeah. think it was incredible. So uh, all that to say, I need to see things before I hear anything about them and formulate my own opinion. Yeah. Like even just seeing a trailer is nice compared to hearing other people talk about it for hours and hours of like just too many people right all on facebook <laughs> and that's what i like about our podcast is i'm like okay well you are a trustworthy person and mm. i like hearing your points about films i like to think that i'm a, a new yeah, same. trustworthy person yeah good <laughs> 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 so i hope that um you know it's so funny we're like yeah we hate hearing other people's opinions and like oh, wait, <laughs> 
don't stop listening to our podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, you, everybody out there, only listen to our opinions and ignore the 700 other opinions that are untrustworthy. Right? Well, that's why we try to pick films, you know, that maybe are not getting the same level of hype. So, right? Yeah, it's it's building trust by 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 having a focus that's a little bit less coattail ridey and a little more just like, hey, this is a movie you probably never heard about. When I found it, I went, holy shit, this is a movie I'd never heard about. Now you get to hear about it. Great. Well, I'm down. I can't wait to watch it and let you know what I think. Perfect. If anyone at home has seen The Road to Wellville, first of all, congratulations. That's fucking cool. Uh, And secondly, hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram to let us know what you think of The Road to Wellville. Follow us on there. Tell us what we need to see. Join the Facebook group. Talk about movies with us. I'm being sucked into a tornado. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Oh, this is nice. I like this tornado. (laughs) Jose, do you have any recommendations for this week? I do. Speaking of cons, I'm I really get into uh, that kind of stuff. And I just saw a new movie by one of our favorite directors, Miranda mm. July's Kajillionaire. Oh, nice. How did it, it do at cons? Uh, <laughs> Terrible it, joke. I do. Yeah, it took me a minute. <laughs> no, never worth it. But yeah, what did you think of it? I'm so curious. I loved it. I loved it so much. I'm so mm. excited for you to watch it so that we can talk about it because, uh, um, you know, Cozy and I, one of our first episodes that we did together was on her first film, Me and You and Everyone We Know. Mm. And a lot of what I love about uh, You, Me and Everyone We Know is present in Kajillionaire, but it's a totally different, it was, uh, it was unexpected. She comes at it in a totally different direction. Ooh. And... It was much sadder than I was expecting, but it ends with such hopefulness Mm. that I just, I thought it was the perfect movie for 2020 and just, you know, the time that we're continuing to experience, even though it's 2021, just Mm -hmm. to like reach out, like, like simple pleasures are available to us and like reaching out and appreciating them is a first step towards like feeling joy. Ooh, I like it. yeah, I absolutely adored it. I can't wait to watch it again. It made me cry so many times. There were like several points that made me tear up. I just thought we're so down to earth and human and beautiful. And I actually was thinking about the goldfish scene in me and you and everyone we know and how much we yes. love that scene. Oh. And you know, there's that aspect to like, uh, life is so fragile and right. we need to witness it. And there's a similar scene in this one about how how, how, like, a, just like a simple, like, life can be so beautiful in this really simple way that we need to witness and experience. Mm-hmm. And the scenes just felt really analogous to me. So, um, I'm interested to seeing what you think about it. Nice. Yeah. I like that a lot then. Yeah. Highly recommend. It's, um, available to rent. We have it at Video Tech. If you're in LA, come get it. Come say hi. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also like you can, you know, rent it online as well for, like six to like twenty dollars on various sites. Mm. Nice. Yeah. Um, so please, hey, listeners, hit us up. Uh, let me know what you think of Kajillionaire if you've seen it. Hmm. <laughs> yep. Do you want to hear do- my recommendation for this thing? I do. Sorry, I just remembered that I didn't hear your recommendation yet. (laughs) It's all good. I felt it. I was like, there's a pause. I bet we're remembering things. This is good. (laughs) Um, My recommendation for this, um, I went, I've been watching a bunch of random junk on Netflix lately. And one of them was like watching through all of the characters, which is that, for those who don't know, it was this Netflix show where they gave a bunch of character people uh, their own little mini specials where they just played a bunch of characters. 
and a lot of people were talking about it, and I was like, I'm not really a character person, and mm-hmm. I don't have Netflix at the time, so I don't care. And now I, I finally sat down and watched through all of them, and I sure can't recommend a lot of them. <laughs> a lot oh, of them no. really sucked, but <laughs> I can recommend uh, a couple of them were very were were, were better. And one of them I'm going to recommend today, and that's the Kate Berlant episode. Oh, I love her. She's really funny. She did a really good job in it. Her characters were ones that I wanted to see. Um, she, the majority of it involves her playing like an art luminary, and you don't see weird art luminaries in the art world made fun of very often, mm-hmm. at, like in a Netflix comedy show or special so I was like, oh, cool. I like this type of character. And it feels more honest than a lot of the other people's characters that I saw that sucked. <laughs> yeah. Oh, interesting. So you're you're not recommending the show as a whole, just God, no. No, I'm definitely not recommending the show as a whole because some of those were fucking painful and some of them felt racist and outdated and bullshit. But her episode, <sighs> her episode was great and did a good job. Um And thank goodness for that. Oh my gosh. I really, I love that because I think she is so funny. She is like the one of two white characters in Sorry to Bother You, which was uh, one of my favorite films the year before. Yeah. And she is just like the funny, like clueless, but upbeat white woman who's like missing the point. Mm -hmm. And it's like one of my favorite characters because it's just like, she perfectly encompasses like quote unquote, well-meaning, well-intended white people. And she makes it so funny while also being like skewering that trait and that people actually embody. Yeah. She, she does such a good job of doing that and it feels subtle in a good way. And just, it feels honest in ways that you don't see often. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And like the, the Natasha Rothwell episode was pretty good too. I thought that one had a lot of really funny stuff in it too. So that one was that ended up more on my good list. One day I'll do a comprehensive rank, comprehensive ranking of all of the episodes of the characters, but this podcast is not it. So just to be clear, <laughs> there's individual episodes so you could watch, like the Kate Berlant episode, or yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a series where there were like maybe six or eight episodes, and each of those was written dir- written specifically by a different like character comedy person like there's a lauren lapkus one there's a henry zabrowski one there's a tim robinson one uh paul w downs has one and they're all very different and they all do feel like those people's creative visions it's just that some of those are creative visions that don't click with a guy like me who hates broad characters mm-hmm. yeah so it's, it's I don't like broad characters either. I I could enjoy a broad character comedy, like an mm-hmm. Adam Sandler 90s comedy, but like I don't oh, sure. love them in sketches. Yeah, it the, uh, I feel like there were a lot of those a lot of it where it felt like sketches that didn't have a point and they were just about being this weird wacky character. And then there was a Natasha Rothwell one where she was immediately a character that I was like, I don't know. And then the sketch aspect of it made it work so incredibly well. Like it was a, um, it was a, a homeless man on the on the on the subway train in New York, um, asking for money from people, but saying that he had been to the public library a lot and knew all of the plot of Game of Thrones, so he would ruin it for people if they didn't give him money. <laughs> Which felt like such great leverage from a homeless person on a train. And I was like, okay, this is a good sketch. 
Yeah. Yeah. I like, I'm always pretty, um, what's the word? Uh, uh, I guess just that sound <laughs> is sort of how I feel whenever, um, people who are not yeah. houseless are like trading on that as entertainment. Right. Yeah. Uh, and like the minute that she was playing a homeless person, I already felt like, oh, I feel uncomfortable about this and I'm not sure it was a good choice, but. Right. But getting yeah, them the upper fun. hand, I think can, can work. Yes. But absolutely. I would just recommend in general, anybody getting into comedy to, uh, unless you are skewering the system that makes, forces people to uh, live houselessness, mm-hmm. houselessness, homelessness, um, <laughs> then do not get into it because. Right. Um, don't kick people when they're down. Yeah. There's such a terrible history of it. We don't need to add to that history. <laughs> but it's just not funny is my biggest thing. Like whatever yeah. people, there's a, LA has a serious homeless issue. And uh, when we were all still doing live comedy, there was just every now and then you'd be at a show where someone was doing stand up and making a joke about homelessness. And it just made me feel like so angry because it's just the idea that there's somebody who's like living right outside of the bar that we're in. Yeah. Right. And you're exactly. And like, this is rude as hell. Like, it's not funny. Yeah. Like, the joke is always, hi, I'm a person who doesn't have empathy. Like, that's what the real root of the joke ends up being every time. Right. And, and you can actually be really funny and, like, make fun of Eric Garcetti. Like, right. he's the, the mayor of LA. Of course. Like, there's all there's kinds so of ways. More. Yeah, there's all kinds of ways to like make jokes about systems that are very funny and just being like, ew, can you believe this person? Yeah. Right. It's just person being uncomfortable or put off and like trying to turn that into their uncomfortable humor without mentioning that they were uncomfortable, which is the real root of them even writing the joke in the first place and what it says about them rather than what it says about the Oh, it's just so much. Absolutely. Well, it's just not any better than what somebody's going to do in high school. So it's like right. if you want to have the same sense of humor as you did in high school or like as bullies <laughs> did in high school, like I guess, but it's not going to take you very far. Like a laugh that you'll get on a night for doing a joke like that is not a laugh that's going to take you far in your career. Ooh, so, I like that. It's a good call. Is it worth it for that momentary reaction where you might get a few laughs or are you trying to like build a career with a perspective and a voice? Mm, good that's call. That's what you should consider. So that's my yeah. free, free comedy lesson at the end of uh, the podcast. I love it. It's important and necessary because people <laughs> should be paying attention to that. Uh, do you have any plugs? Um, I Do I have any plugs? I, you know, always... <laughs> Come to Video Tech if you live in LA. Come rent movies. Uh, look for the video stores in your neck of the woods. You know, there's some in Texas and there's some on the East Coast and Portland. So you may live somewhere where there's still a video store. <laughs> yes, check it out. What about you, Cozy? Uh, no, no plugs this time. Just doing the usual things. Um, but I will say that uh, if you're all listening and would like to give us a five-star rating, please do that. If you want to leave us a review and subscribe, that would be really cool. We're going to read your five-star review on the air, and we're going to treat you like uh, a wonderful human being uh, if you if you write us one. Yes, so nice. please. <laughs> Celebrate the new year. Give us a nice rating. It's <laughs> meaningless. Free and easy that you can do for us. It's true. I was doing that on a podcast the other day. I was like just straight up doing five stars because I was like, how have I never how have I never done that yet? It's really just yeah. a quick button press. Yeah, I try to do that for like every podcast that I listen to mm-hmm. and 
And even if I can't think of like, you don't need to be a great writer. Sometimes I'll just be like, this podcast is fascinating. Or like, this podcast is exactly what I needed to listen to this week. Highly recommend. Oh, Um, that's a good move. Yeah, because it, it, it's just like I know, you know, a lot of people don't get paid to do their podcasts and just to be able to get boosted um, so that people, you know, it comes up in search engines is huge. So huge. Oh, that's been our show. So exciting. Oh, yeah. special thanks to our editor, Pete Burns. Thank you, Pete. Thank you, Pete. Oh, yeah. And thank you all so much for listening to You Need to See This. But only if you I warn you, sir, an erection is a flagpole in your grave. I can't help it. Now, you listen to me, my buddy. Our basic appetites can and must be controlled. I myself am a monk with regard to the sexual intercourse, and hence I'm a beacon of good, fine health. And more importantly, so is my dear, beautiful wife.